Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. So great to be with you again today as we begin a series that we're calling Love Theory. Uh, the idea around this series is the ability to see how the stories of our life add up to God's love for us. And today we start with what I would say is the most epic, the most foundational story of all. It is the story given to us in the scripture, what we call the Bible, a book of many books, 66 altogether. Those books present to us a single truth, and it's this. In scripture, we're told the story of God's love. In scripture, we're told the story of God's love. It's like when I was 12, uh, I'd become best friends with my buddy Dana. And so we would spend most weekends, I was either spending the night at his house or he was spending the night at my house. That was, every weekend was like that. And so his family went to church, mine didn't. And so I recall one weekend that I went to church with him and experienced all the newness of that environment, singing hymns, I didn't understand that. People greeting me at the door, that was strange. Just the whole thing was a whole new world to me and including a message and the reading of scripture. And I remember uh, coming out of that experience and coming home and talking to Dana, I'm 12 again, and I remember saying something to the effect of, I, I don't get it, man. You know, some, a bunch of people got together and wrote this book and we're supposed to somehow live our lives by it. I don't, I don't understand that. This doesn't make any sense to me. And at some point, he stopped me in my mid-12-year-old rant. And he said, Aaron, all you need to know is God is love. And this book is the story of that love. I thought about that. Now, it would be several years later that I would finally give my life fully to Jesus, but I know now that the foundation of that decision was right there, where I allowed the possibility that this ancient text that we call the Bible could be different than any other book and could mean more to me than any other book. See, the Bible is unique in that it is a document that makes an outrageous claim that these are the words of God delivered through the hands of men. Because of that, the scripture invites us to give it a special voice in our lives, to not just read it as an experience or as, uh, or as just something that, that we take in as just another teaching. No, it's, it, we're told it's something living and active. The scripture is the story of God's redemption for humanity. It is God's love story. It reveals, yes, how God redeemed people in the past, but it also invites us to being redeemed in the present. So the question is, is what gives the scripture authority to be that, to, to say that, to be believed about such things? That's the real question, right? Because there's so many voices out there that we could listen to, we, and we get to choose which ones will affect our lives, which voices should have authority in my life. And authority is a very unique thing. Uh, I think of how Pastor Brandon mentioned last week this look that his mom could give. That is a powerful force 
of authority in our life. You know, you got Superman who has laser eyes, but I think moms can do a lot more damage with one look. They, they, don't, need, they don't need big words. They don't need to say much. With one look, they can say to their kids, you know, I love you and I want what's best for you, but if you don't do what I'm telling you to do right now, I will take you out and make another one just like you. They can say all that in a look. And the reason that works is that it boils down to one thing, relationship. That relationship gives voice, gives authority. We choose then to listen. And one of the most amazing presuppositions of the scripture is that it would hold the greatest authority in our lives, the greatest voice. Why? Because the scripture is an invitation to relationship with Jesus. John said that Jesus is the word of God. Not just that the word talks about Jesus, no, that Jesus is the word of God. So our relationship with Jesus is expressed and connected to our relationship with the scripture, with the story of God. I love how the Message Bible describes this relationship. In Matthew 7, it says this, these words I speak to you, are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. The scripture was never intended to be optional in our lives. It's to be foundational. This is God telling us how things really are. And I, I, I get it. I understand that some of the scripture isn't a real straightforward read and some things are complicated and some things have context and history that we don't fully get. There, there's books that are like poetic books, like the Song of Solomon. That's an interesting read for a date night, by the way, if you wanted to stop in at that one. You'll never think of gazelles the same way. I just promise you that. <laughs> but there's some stuff that's not easy. So we read the scripture and there is stuff that we grasp, there is stuff that we don't, there is stuff we agree with, and there is stuff that brings up questions. But the most important thing is this, the scripture declares that within its pages, we discover life itself because there we discover Jesus. So this book should rise above all others. As a whole, the scripture tells the story of God's love, a story that we can enter, a story that can impact our story. It's God's love story told in a hundred different ways. And that story invites us to adjust our lives to it, not the other way around, which to me is also an amazing gift because we encounter an ever-changing and seemingly increasingly crazy world, don't we? So we get to come back to this foundational truth that God's love is not to be understood through the lens of my experience. No, instead, my experience is to be understood through the lens of God's love. And the scripture tells us, reveals to us that love story. In a world of wind and waves, the scripture reveals our solid rock. With that in mind, I'd like to point out a few things from a passage in the book of Timothy, a passage that speaks of the power and the authority of God's love story, what we know as the Bible, as the scripture, revealing how God's love story can change our life. And here's the first thing I'd point out. First thing is that the story of God reveals the promise 
of our Savior. Let's pick up the passage, 2 Timothy 3, starting verse 14. Let's read it together right where you are. Big voices, go. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's pointing out the story of God that's preserved in the scriptures. Remember, a key to understanding the Bible as a whole, the Old Testament points forward to Jesus, the Gospels tell the story of Jesus, and the New Testament points back to Jesus. So it's all about Jesus. But it starts with the Old Testament pointing forward to Jesus. Now, let me just point out something special in the scripture regarding this. This is what separates the scripture from anything else. No other work that is seen as a sacred text shows fulfilled predictive prophecy in the way the Bible does. Here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> God proves the validity of his story by showing us miraculously, supernaturally, a future that only God could know. We call that prophecy. And the Old Testament is filled with prophecy about world events, about kingdoms, about empires, but ultimately about the Messiah. Hundreds of prophecies, all about a coming Messiah. In fact, math people figured out the likelihood of just eight of those kinds of prophecies being fulfilled by one man. And the likelihood is one in 10 to the 17th power, meaning one in 10 times itself 17 times. So what does that look like? How can I imagine that number? Okay, suppose you had that number of silver dollars, which would be really helpful right now, by the way, in our economy, that'd be really, really nice. But suppose you had that many, that number of silver dollars. That number of silver dollars is enough to cover the state of Texas, the entire state, with silver dollars two feet deep. Hey, that's how many, that's a lot, right? Entire state of Texas. Now here's the likelihood. Let's say one of those silver dollars is marked with an X on it. And you don't know where that is, but somebody marked it with an X and put it out there in Texas somewhere. And so someone blinds you, they put you in a helicopter, you say you can just go anywhere in Texas, just tell them to fly wherever, and when you're ready, you blindfold a person, you just tell them to land. And so after a couple hours of flying over Texas, you say, okay, let's land here. And you land in that spot, right down on the, on the silver coins, the silver dollars. You get out of the helicopter, you jump onto the silver dollars, and then you reach down and you grab a silver dollar and you pull it up and it's the one with the X on it. That is the likelihood, the mathematical likelihood of writing just eight prophecies and having them all come true with one person. The odds get even higher to fulfill 60 prophecies. It's 10 to the 157th power. It looks like this, 10 with this many zeros behind it. That's just to fulfill 60 prophecies in one person. Guess what? Jesus fulfilled more than 300 prophecies. And they weren't easy ones. You know, weren't easy prophecies. Like, well, Messiah's gonna have two legs and Messiah's gonna have hair. You know, they weren't easy ones like that. No, tough stuff. Isaiah wrote nearly a thousand years before Christ's birth that he would be born to a virgin. 
That's pretty hard to control. In so many different ways, that's a tough one to, to make happen. We're told he'd be born in a manger. Most people think, oh, you're born, you're going to end up in a bed, maybe a crib, not usually a cattle trough. And yet, that happened as well. It's different. It's unusual. Malachi, some 500 years before Christ, he said, Messiah will come to the temple. Well, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and has not yet been rebuilt. So Messiah had to get to the temple before 70 AD, and that happened. Jesus did that. So the timing was right. Zechariah wrote that Messiah will be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Not 29, not 31, not gold, not bronze, but silver. And Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Exact prophecy, specific. Jesus fulfilled it all. And the final promise was a real doozy. Another one really difficult to manipulate. The prophecy that Messiah would rise from the dead. We see those prophecies in Isaiah, in the book of Hosea, and Jesus did it. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but if there's someone worth listening to, someone worth giving voice in my life to, I'm going to listen to the one who rose from the dead. <laughs> and the story of God reveals to us that that one is Jesus. Because the story of God reveals the promise of our Savior. It's the first thing. Here's the second. The story of God reveals the deficit in our character. Let's continue the Timothy passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Let's read it. Big voices. Go. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. One of the things that this passage implies is that we need teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? Because we're broken. And the story of God has an amazing way of addressing and revealing our brokenness, of correcting our character. But it's important that we realize the end goal here, not to just make us feel bad. No, it's a training in righteousness. The goal is to be in right relationship with God. We often let the Bible stop at just being a teaching tool, like a manual, you know? And I think that suddenly, sometimes that's why we struggle to read scripture, because we just see it as directions. And everybody knows when you get a new appliance, the first thing you do is you throw away the directions. You don't need directions. We don't want directions. The directions are just packing material. That can happen if we just see the Bible as a set of teachings that are, that are going to rebuke me and correct me and train me. Now, I need all of that, but it's not a great motivator. See, who's had to go, maybe for you, you've had, you'd had, had to go to an HR training at work. You know, is it important? Yes. But it's like one step above dental work, too, going to an HR training session. It, 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 nobody loves that. Yet, yet I love the conclusion of why the scripture teaches and rebukes and corrects us. Here's why. So we can experience righteousness. And righteousness in the scripture is not about me being good or at least a, a, a little less bad. No, that's called moralizing. Religion tries to do this with the Bible all the time, to moralize it, to tell us it's a book of, of lessons and teachings to make us better people, like it's a giant pile of Hallmark cards. 
simply about moral teachings, saying there's good people and there's bad people and we should act gooder, right? (laughs) And if we act gooder enough, we get to God. That's the message. But that's not the message of the scripture. The message of the scripture is that everybody's bad. All have sinned except for one, and his name is Jesus, the only one who is absolutely good, absolutely without sin. And we killed him, proving once again how not good we are. Friends, the scripture is not a set of directions, it's a mirror. The scripture allows us to see ourselves not as we think we are, but as we actually are. This word of God, it shows us where we miss it. The law reveals to us how far we have fallen. Without this, we would never come to the conclusion that we are sinners in need of a savior. Many of you know I grew up in in Redmond, Oregon, small town in central Oregon. And I grew up there uh, as a drummer for a lot of my, my teenage years, I was a drummer. Uh, and, and so you can think of Redmond, Oregon as that musical hotspot. You know, that's like where all the musicians go to, right? You've got LA, you've got Nashville, and right after that's Redmond, of course, like so many musicians, <laughs> absolutely not. But in the town of Redmond, compared to others, I was a good drummer, okay? Compared to other musicians in my location, I was at the top tier. I was in demand as a drummer in those days. But then I moved out. I moved across the mountain to Eugene, Oregon, and I met other musicians. I heard them play, and I went, whoa, I can't play like that. They're way better than me. And I went to jazz concerts, and I went, whoa, I can't play like that either. And I realized that my sense of success and the lens through which I viewed my ability was all completely subject to who I compared myself to. In Redmond, yes, total rock star drummer. But in Eugene, something more similar to a wind-up drummer monkey. This is what the Bible does for us. It makes us quit comparing our lives to one another and allows us to see our lives next to God. And when I do that, I realize I'm in need. I realize I need to change. I realize I need a savior. See, God doesn't only ask me to read the Bible. God asks that I allow the Bible to read me. God's story reveals where I'm not enough. It reveals that only Jesus can make me enough that only Jesus can restore my life, that only Jesus can fix what is broken in me. That is the gift of the scripture because the story of God reveals the deficit in our character. That's the second thing, here's the last thing. The story of God reveals the redemption of our purpose. Let's finish out the passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. Let's read it, big voices go. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Friends, when I allow God's word and God's story to speak into my life, what I start to do is I start to lay a new foundation for my life. 
God's story equips me to impact God's world. Scripture equips us for the work that we were born to do. Scripture reveals God's purpose for our lives. Why? Because it reveals God. I give God permission to use his word, his story of love, to equip me for every good work. That becomes my purpose. Asking God to take away the rough edges of my life and to sharpen the edges that are dull and to show me how I was created to be used. This is what the scripture can do. There's an old story of a child going to a master sculptor and he stood staring at this giant piece of marble and, and he turns to the, the sculptor and says, what, what are you going to make out of that? It's just a giant rock. What are you going to make out of that? And the, the master sculptor said, my boy, I'm not going to make anything out of it. I'm going to find something in it. What do you mean? The baffled child inquired. He said, well, there's a beautiful angel inside that block of marble. All I have to do is knock off everything that's not her, and what's left will be everything she was made to be. I think we make the mistake that God's purpose is only found in innovation, in what's added to our lives. But often God reveals his purpose in renovation, the gifts given through that which God takes away. The chisel of correction, removing that which we were never supposed to carry, God calls that process pruning. And I don't know about you, but I don't think we like pruning I have this uh, little bush in my front yard. I've had it uh, for a couple years. It's a gardenia, my favorite flower. I love the smell of gardenias. The first year we had, we had that bush, it just had a few flowers it just, just in that, that time and only gave us two or three flowers in the first year. But this year, I have had flowers on that gardenia ever since the spring. Like for, for six months, there's been flowers and times filled with flowers. And, and, you, and I have to ask myself, well, why is that happening? Well, I know what I did. I pruned it. And I also know that when, when the dead flowers went, I, I deadheaded it. When the flower had died after it was done, I pulled it off of there. I ripped its little dead head off. And I did that all summer long. And because of that, I continue to have flowers. It allows for new life. But think of how violent that is. Pruning, cutting off parts, and pulling off their little heads. Now, that's no big deal, I guess, when you're a plant. But it's a bit painful when you're a person and God says, I want to prune you. You're, you're, you're gonna, uh, God says that you're going to need to allow me to prune away this part of your life. You're, you need to allow me to rip off this dead part. You're gonna, you need to allow me to chisel and hammer and, and go to work on the rough places of your life. I don't know anybody that likes that. And we often, when that's happening, do not see that as a gift. <laughs> Yet, friends, it is in the pruning, it is in the chiseling, and in the dying to what we were before that God allows his true masterpiece to be revealed. So I, I may not like it, God, but I know I need it. So God, chisel away. God, take away the things that, that were never who I was so I can become who you always knew 
I was supposed to be. Now, I wish I always had that heart before God. Yes, just do it, God, just chisel away. But I also know there's places that I have not allowed God to bring his chisel, not allowed God to bring the pruning shears. And maybe you identify with me in that way too. There's some place you'd say, no, I don't like that. But the question is this, how long do I want to continue to be something I'm not? something I was never supposed to be, for that to happen, guess what? Some things must be taken away. God's story does this in our lives. It reveals our design, and by God's grace, it equips us to walk in it. Because the story of God reveals the redemption of our purpose. Let me wrap up with this. One of... Uh, I guess one of my most distinct memories was at Dan Medlock's funeral. Dan was part of our church here. Rhonda and Peter are still a part of our church. Rhonda, his wife, Peter, his son. And Dan was a dear part of our church. And uh, Dan died, uh, I guess it was about four years ago now. Dan was raised a hearing person in a deaf household. His parents were deaf, but, but he could hear as could his brother. And so he, of course, was fluent in sign language and so was his brother. His brother came to speak at his memorial and this is the part that, that I remember so vividly. Uh, he said to us when he came to talk about Dan, he said, um, I, I'm not gonna speak verbally out loud because I know I'm gonna be crying and it'll make it impossible for me to speak. So he chose, he said, I'm just gonna sign my feelings about Dan and let the interpreter tell you what I'm saying. And I can tell you, I've never seen anything like it. Here's this grown man, tears streaming down his face as he's grieving and remembering his brother who he loved. He's sobbing, and yet we heard every word. We experienced every memory through the interpreter's translation. Words from a language I didn't know, but I was so grateful that someone could reveal them to me. That beautiful language made it possible that we could hear words that could not be spoken through tears, so instead they were spoken in sign. And that moment made a lasting impact on my life. I've seen few things so beautiful. The scripture, this story of God, is that to us. It's the expression of a love and a language that we do not know, yet God is translating that love for us. This is what God's story of love invites us to experience, to be challenged by an expression of love that is different and greater than we have known before. So the question is this. Will we cease trying to find our way around God's story and instead allow God's story to show us a way forward. Yes, we get to wrestle through our questions about God's story. Guess what? God's not afraid of any of that. But in the midst of that wrestling, we must remember that this is a story of a love beyond this world, a greater love than we've ever known. God's story reveals to us truth and wisdom that transcend time and culture. And if that's true, 
then it's understandable that this story will at times challenge what I think it should say. <laughs> It'll stretch me beyond my experience. To me, that's just another reason to trust this book because it doesn't agree with me all the time. We so desperately need this story because without it, our experience with God is completely subjective. We're lost. We're making up a God we can easily find instead of allowing the true God to find us. The scripture tells us that God speaks and that we can hear God's voice. The question is, will we listen? Will we allow God's story to rise above all other stories, God's voice to rise above all other voices? That's when the scripture becomes more than a book. It becomes words to build a life on. So, would you, with me, let God's story transform your story? Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.